Before we get into this episode, if you enjoy the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 seconds to leave a review, as it helps us get heard by more people. G'day legends, welcome back to another week of the CM Show. As always, I'm here with Skulls. Skullsy, how are you? Very well, thanks, Freddie, and what an intro that was. He's been a bit nervous about that one, but he was, got it done. I was pretty shaky there, I'm not going to lie. What's been happening in uh, the world of cricket, mate? Well, uh, yeah, look, I was away at a wedding over the weekend, so I didn't watch a whole lot of cricket, but um, we're catching up during the week, and for me, it's so good to see Sheffield Shield cricket that, um, back. There's some good cricket going on at the moment, which we'll talk about in a little while. The Aussies have obviously won the Ashes. Um, they, were, they had already won it, but they finished off the last few games. Australia um, is about to put, uh, start the series, the T20 series against Sri Lanka this evening. The PSL is going on, which I don't get to see much of. Um, the Under-19 World Cup concluded since our last chat um, with India, the victors there. So, yeah, as always, plenty of cricket going on. So um, we're going to dissect a bit of it. Obviously, a big week in Australian cricket with um, the whole Justin Langer situation, which we are going to go into in a little while. But let's get into it. What have you noticed, Reedy? Um, yeah, look, Australia's domination over England, I think, was quite clear for everyone to see. Um, as you, yeah, as as we could tell, like the depth in the squads um, were far superior to England's. I think um, it showed quite a bit there in the the female Ashes series. Um, yeah, they were just far too strong and powerful. I think, um, and I think in something like seventeen attempts, England didn't win it, win a game over here. Um, including the Australia A stuff so and England A stuff. So that's pretty dominant. Well, it comes back to a bit of what you said, you or Fan has said in the last couple of weeks about it. It's very hard to win away from home and it's, most sides are, well, I think all sides are better at home. All the players have spent their whole life in those conditions and it is very foreign. So England have some, some searching, some work to do to sort of work out how both on the men and women's side they can come to Australia and be more successful. I know in the men's... Um, on the men's side, they've they haven't won. They've won one series in the last sort of ten or fifteen series. So they're doing a lot of sort of soul searching and working out how they can be better. But it seems like the women are going to have to as well with the Aussies so dominant at home and England are dominant in England. So both countries have to try and find a way to be better um, overseas, which is um, going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. So for me, what I've noticed over the last week or so is that everyone loves to have an opinion. And a lot of the old players, a lot of the old great players who some are commentators, some aren't, but they seem to want to be relevant and get involved whenever there's a big situation and, and put their sort of two cents in and, and as Pat Cummins said, support their mates and sort of talk about things. But yeah, it's, it's caused a bit of a divide, which we're going to sort of talk a bit more about shortly. But yeah, it's just you, you sort of everywhere you go in the last few days in Australian cricket, the, the papers, the radio, everything is about um, the whole Justin Langer situation and every single person has an opinion. So, Reedy, it's been a big week for you though. Tell us about the weekend and what you've enjoyed. Yeah, well, firstly, forgive me if I sound a bit dusty this week. Um, we had a massive night Sunday night for the Melbourne Cricket Club bringing home the T20 Premiership uh, against Subiaco Florit. Um, yeah, it was it was an amazing night. Um, at one stage, it was raining for about an hour before the game. We thought, oh, we might actually struggle to get on. And um, if that was the case, we wouldn't we wouldn't have won the flag. Um, but yeah, the boys... What would have happened if it was rained I'm off? I'm pretty certain that because Subi finished top, they would have taken 
taken it home and there's no there was no room in the fixture anymore to uh change it so it would have been pretty interesting um so Subi were doing the rain dance yeah yeah i guess so um but yeah we were pumped when that stopped and we, we won the toss and elected to bowl which was a great result on um i think a slightly tacky whacker wicket which is unusual but i think the weather must have impacted that it was a used wicket and um yeah from from ball one um we sort of set the tone we bowled really well and um yeah we we managed to bowl them out for about 120 so we need to run a ball in the second innings and um we were cruising we had a monster power play getting nearly 50 odd um fraser hay put on an absolute clinic with the bat and the power play hit one into the lily marsh stand which you won't stop talking about and then um yeah things got a little bit shaky a bit uncomfortable at the end um we, we slowed up a little bit um due to some of their excellent spin bowling um who we knew always going in that they were going to be dangerous so i think we we discussed a fair bit about them and not and trying not to i guess let them into the game giving them wickets so um yeah it, it paid off in the end but only just it came down to the last over um i was in and cooked it a bit i've tried to hit the last two runs off the first ball the last over and got clean bowled and then um it was down to brad turner who yeah he he kept those two dot balls he faced first up trying to win the, do the same thing as me just trying to get it done um and then he managed to smack one at mid off and just snuck past and, and we managed to get the win and so yourself i i was down south with dodgy reception trying to watch a bit of it and i Saw a couple of cheeky celebrations from you. What what happened with the ball? Uh, yeah, with the ball, yeah, jagged a couple of wickets for guys trying to hit me out of the stadium, which is a pretty common thing. And um, it it more often than not pays off, which is quite funny. Um, I guess yeah, there was it was good seam bowling conditions, which helped. Yeah, well, there's a low scoring game, and in the Colts earlier in the day, there was one thirty played eighty, so one twenty. And then Melville chasing it with a few balls to spare. So another flag for Melville, one of my former teammates, your your mate, your teammate now, Tom Shepherds won his fifth T20 flag, a huge effort. Um, you've probably got just a few less than that, three or four now. So huge effort by the Storm. Um, for me, what I've enjoyed is having Shield cricket back, plus having good quality commentary. We've been watching the South Australia versus Victoria match for the last few days. A lot of interest in that game, obviously. We've got Jake Retherall playing, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then Chris Rogers, um, our great mate, is the coach of Victoria. So I've been following them closely and really enjoying the commentary of, of sort of current and, and recent really re- sort of finished playing commentators, including Alex Ross, Tom Cooper, Chad Sayers, Theodoropoulos. They're providing, and then Laurie, um, I think it's Laurie Colliver. They're providing some great insights into the game. And it, it's, it's great when, when sort of the live stream first started five or six or seven years ago, you could watch the cricket, which was awesome. You could watch it from anywhere, anytime when the, the Shield was on, but there was no commentary. And I think now Cricket Australia or the SACA or whoever is running it is investing in the commentary because they're probably getting a few thousand eyeballs each day. And I know that we have it on all day in, in the office. We're cricket nuffies and we love it. So it's been lots of fun having that back on during the day. And, and our boy, my boy, uh, Nick Madison's just got some runs, 82. I always enjoy seeing Maddo get runs. Good friend of mine and, and such a great player. Um, I'd love to see him hopefully get an opportunity back in the Australian side at some point. He's dominated Shield cricket. He was brought into the Aussie squad uh, at some point uh, in recent times, I think, as a backup. Um, yeah, so Maddo getting getting more runs and, and seeing him do well is always a good thing. So, 
Yeah, what you've been looking a bit at the other game, New yeah, South Wales Queensland. Just on slow seam bowling, I think um, I've really enjoyed Trent Copen having the wood over Marnus again. You got him in the first innings, leaving it again. Um, I think is just it just highlights how skillful the bloke is, and that and being skillful can actually play a big part. You don't have to bowl like the wind all the time. Um, and and those guys, yeah, I, I love watching those guys bowl. I think. Um, in England, when Marnus was playing county cricket, Darren Stevens managed to get him once or twice as well, and and that was the talk of the town. And I think, um, yeah, being yeah being skillful is is really important. Well, and those guys have done it for a number of years. I reckon you're the grade cricket Darren Stevens. You're not <laughs> quite forty five, but you're the slow wobbler that everyone hates facing. I know the Perth boys were talking about how they hated facing you because you've got no pace and you wobble it and you just nip it a little bit and it's similar rigs. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. Now I tell you what, in that game, one thing I've noticed, just looking at the scores, I haven't watched one ball, but seeing the scores, I'm not sure I've seen in my time a younger or a less experienced New South Wales side. They've obviously got Daniel Hughes at the top and, and a fantastic effort from him to carry his bat in the first innings. I, I saw something on Instagram last night. There's been 1,176 or something around there innings for in first-class cricket for New South Wales and only 14 times or 14 players, I'm not exactly sure, but have, have carried their bat. So you've got 80-odd not out. Huge effort from Daniel Hughes. Um, but below him, Ryan Hackney's making his debut, a young guy. Jason Sanger hasn't played a whole lot, young guy. Jack Edwards, young guy. I think Baxter Holt at six is making his debut, young guy. Or maybe he's at seven. There's, and then there's another few around that. Lockie Hearns in there, young guy, played three or four games. They're, from two to seven, they've probably played no more than ten games. Tanvir Sanger's playing. They obviously don't have any of the big boys, any of the Australian squad. And it is a very, very young side. So that's a good and a bad thing, I think. I think they're, they're probably going to struggle in the short term, but obviously they've got some a lot of t- uh, good young players and getting them games early is not a bad thing. Yeah, I think um, it's the slight changing of the guard. It's, it's exciting. And I think um, I've, one person I've got really high hopes for is Jason Sanger, the way he played in the Big Bash. Um, I thought he, he led that team as a young player at once he finally got a game. Um, mid-season and he was yeah he showed he's seriously got got game i thought yeah absolutely well it'll be interesting to see if he can transition that into red ball which is always a challenge a lot of players are good at white ball um but can't quite transition it into red ball where the ball moves and the format's different you've got to sort of be more patient that's one of the great challenges as a as a modern day batter now someone who has been able to transition their form throughout the different formats is WA boy Josh Inglis, and he's making his debut in the T20 tonight, so we're excited for that one, aren't we? Yeah, I'm pumped about this one. Um, lucky enough to know Josh a little bit and played with him um, in the under-19 setup, and he's just so impressive. He's probably the best wicketkeeper I've ever played with or against, um, in, in my opinion. And, yeah, I think this is well-deserved. I think he's piled on enough runs now to have earned this spot, and um, but across both formats, which... Is great to see. He's adaptable. He's got. I, I really think his red ball technique can hold up um, if he's able to get another shot at the or get a shot at the top level in the test side. Yeah, well, WA and Australian cricket are very lucky to have two amazing Joshes who are wicketkeeper batters with um, our boy Flip, who could easily, I think, be in that T20 side and possibly should be. He's been in the BBL team of the tournament three years in a row. Sydney Sixers Player of the Year three years in a row. Um, BBL Player of the Year last year and 
I think just he probably lulled in form at the wrong time and they were sort of selecting squads and stuff. He still made the, the team of the tournament, as I've said, and he scored lots of runs. He started the tournament tournament um, amazingly well. He got a 99 not out, I think, and he was batting as well as he ever has. And then he got a few low scores in the middle there. But I think Ben McDermott's form warranted a selection and there's not a lot of room in that, that top order with Finch there and, and Warner's resting at the moment. But... I'd still love to see Flip given an opportunity. If he was batting at the SCG tonight, his home ground for the Big Bash, I, I just imagine he would light it up like he has done um, in the Big Bash. So I think he's been a bit stiff and a bit unlucky to miss out. But in saying that, I completely agree that Ingo's done as much as he possibly could. He's a f- very, very classy player himself, and, and we wish him all the best. Yeah, Flip is very stiff. And I think, well, I, I would have thought that this would have been a great opportunity for the, the coaches and that to look at flip um, for the World Cup that's coming up, but they've stuck with Wade with their gloves, which I guess is fair. He, he's, he's done all he can when he's been in the side as well, and at the World Cup, he was enormous, but um, yeah, very, very stiff. And this whole the whole selection is, is just such an interesting one because when they were selecting the World Cup squad, Ingo obviously got selected in the last World Cup squad, went away, didn't play a game, but... He was on the back of dominating white ball cricket in England. He did really well in the, um, not the Blast. I don't think it was the Blast. I think it was the 50-over competition. Over. Maybe it was the Blast, actually. Yeah, it was the Blast, yeah. yeah. So the Blast, he got 200s. But he was playing um, for Leicester. They were, they're small grounds. They're really good wickets. And that's all you can ask of Ingo. He did incredibly well. But it, at the same time, Flip was batting on Bunsen burners in Bangladesh and the West Indies, playing international cricket. And he didn't score many runs. So they then dropped Flip out of that squad and, and added Ingo. And, and at the time, I, I, I thought it was pretty stiff. And I'm, I'm certainly not against them picking Ingo because I think he's a fantastic player. But it, it does create a conversation around how do you select sides and what has more value? Like, do you value a couple of hundreds against um, some county attacks on small grounds or a bloke who's playing against Bangladesh in Bangladesh and they're opening with spin and it's... It is a real challenge. So, yeah, there's no right answer and, and I'd never want to be crit- critical of selectors because it's a bloody tough job. You can only ever get 11 in a team and there's a lot more good players than that going around at the moment. But I've got a bit, a bit of bias, but, I'm yeah, I'd love to see Flip back in there pretty soon. No, it's ruthless. It's a ruthless game, isn't it? Um, and timing is everything. Speaking about ruthless, Justin Langer, what are your thoughts on how that's all unfolded, Rito? Um, yeah, we mentioned at the top, it was a bit... It's been a pretty dramatic week in cricket um i personally think it's been he's been a bit unfairly treated by a ca i thought they would have done like done it all a little bit better a bit more professionally and um yeah i I, it's tough to comment on this one but i think the biggest thing is I, i i've noticed with it is the the difference in eras now um the old school era of being hard and upfront and and all that and honest and um, giving blokes a spray and all that is sort of clearly going out the window now, isn't it? And I think it's becoming blatantly obvious that as a coach, you need to be adaptable to individuals and um, you need to pro- provide a, a comfortable environment for them to to sort of flourish. Yeah, well, it's such an interesting thing. I've heard a few people within the cricketing circles say that the writing was on the wall for Langer. He knew that the players sort of wanted a change and he could have possibly stepped away after the winning the Ashes and stepped away graciously and said, look, I'm done. I've done everything I can and da-da-da. He didn't. Um, but at the same time, Cricket Australia could have handled it much easier and, and made a decision sooner and not sort of dragged it out and through the public and, and let 
Pat Cummins have a few awkward interviews about his opinion and Cummins clearly didn't want Langer to continue. He didn't support him publicly, but it, that's that's Cummins' choice and, and a few of his teammates, obviously. There was a group of them. I'm not sure everyone. I think there was just a, a sort of – it was a bit of a fraction, like some wanted him, some didn't, etc. But, yeah, the whole thing has just created a real sort of rift within Australian cricket. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the current players are pretty frustrated with the past players who have all had – sort of passed on their comments. I know Mitchell Johnson was very strong in his opinion, which was really quite interesting given how he sort of handled the, the Mickey Arthur situation. And um, so I think it's just going to cause a bit of a divide between the current players and the past players. But I did enjoy, I did enjoy, and whether it was the right decision or not, I think JL's obviously done a lot of good things for Australian cricket. He's come in and he, at, a, at a really tough time when Australian cricket was at its lowest. And he's, he's sort of created an environment where they're, they're, they're high-performing and whether the players liked it or not um, is another question, but they've done very, very well under JL. And, but I enjoyed how Cummins said, to all the ex-players, you're standing up for your mates and I'm standing up for mine. And he's, to me, he, he's, his leadership has been fantastic. He's copped a battering in the media, which I think is unfair. Um, I think he's handled it all really, really well and one of the biggest tests in his young captaincy career. So how do you think the current playing group is going to take to all this now? All the old players, past players getting stuck in, I think. How, how do you think they're going to react? Oh, I think there'll be a bit of frustration and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't give the time that they maybe used to for some time until they, they sort of get an apology or they sort of get win some trust back. I think that the current players, and it's all due to the, the rights, the players sign and they get paid by Cricket Australia. Cricket Australia has rights they have to give to the, the broadcaster. So they have to... Do, do talks and interviews and da-da-da-da. But the little things like sort of stopping and saying day and talking about what's going on and, and inviting them into the change room after the game, who knows? Who knows if that will continue with some of them? I know some of the some of the players have lost some respect for some of the people they admired and, and loved as, as younger people. So time will tell, I guess. I can, I can actually see it bringing the current group together on field as well. I think they could really, really bond over this and um, it could be the start of some big things to prove people wrong um again but yeah as we said credit to justin langer for the time he came into the side um and what he's been able to achieve whether people have liked it or not you just simply can't argue with what's happened but i think what we would like to see is cricket australia step things up a bit more and and be better um with the tim Payne saga as well how that was handled that wasn't wasn't great a great look either but um, that's all we can really ask is that they now step things up and, and are able to back the players a bit more and the coaches. And it's going to be really interesting to see if, or who, firstly, who's appointed as the new coach. I think Andrew McDonald's the favourite, the current assistant. He's the current interim coach and someone the boys all really like. I know Pat Cummins has spoken about how he loves his laid-back, sort of relaxed nature, but there's a lot of talk around can one coach, can one person do all three formats, especially in COVID times where you're in bubbles and you're away from home for so long. There is a bit of talk around should they split the roles, should there be a white ball coach and a red ball coach or a T20 coach that stands alone. So I don't think we have the answers to that. I I think that if you find the right personality um, for the job um, and the right sort of stage of their life, well then, yeah, they probably can if they've got the energy. And, And I think that... In my opinion, I think that four years is a good stint, and I think every four years they should be should be looking to possibly re- sort of move on and find someone new. 
unless there isn't a better option out there and, and the team's going incredibly well and everyone's happy, maybe it's renewed for another year or two. But I think a four-year stint allows the sort of the system to keep moving forward and, and younger guys, younger coaches like your Voges or your Rogers to have that opportunity to coach Australia at some point in the future. So, yeah, really, really interesting one about whether um, they'll split it or they'll, they'll keep um, the same person doing all three formats. Yep, looking forward to seeing how that evolves. Now, Skulls, moving on. You've been doing some work with South Australian opening batter Jake Weatherald um, over the last few weeks, who a couple of days ago went on to make a century for South Australia against the Vicks at the Adelaide Oval. Um, tell us a bit more about the work you've been doing with him. Yeah, so, yeah, I was super pumped a few days ago when Weathers got his, got his eighth first-class 100 against the Vicks on day one of this Shield game. So, he, yeah, backtracking a bit in, um, in, I think it was 2020 during COVID, during lockdown, the first one, um, Buck Rogers, Chris Rogers, former Australian cricketer and now Victorian coach, one of my best friends, Buck and I put together a few different groups and we did these sort of discussion groups. It was around the time where the Last Dance documentary came out, the Michael Jordan documentary, and Buck and I were going back and forth talking about what we were learning and from that documentary and we started bringing in a few other players and we said, let's all have a chat about this. So Buck brought in um, a group of players he'd had up at the National Performance Centre when he was coach up there. So it was Jake Weatherall, Josh Philippi, John Merlo, um, uh, Nathan McSweeney and Jack Edwards. And um, so the five players and then Buck and I, and then I brought in a group which um, had Teague Wiley, Cooper Connolly, Liam Blackford, Doki, um, Hugenbusum, Jake Egan and, and Elijah Ward-Armstrong, some of the better young players that I work with. A couple of those guys have gone on to play for the Australian under-19s. And we were having similar conversations. So the younger guys were talking about similar things but then the, to the older guys. But So I first met Jake there and, and then I had him on our podcast. So I've had a little bit of a relationship with him. But he then reached out on uh, Instagram and said, oh, Skulls, I'm looking for someone to give me a bit of extra help. Can we have a chat? chatted for about half an hour and he sort of just said where he's at and what he's doing and then we've had a few more sort of official conversations um, which has been mostly around his game plan a bit around his mindset and how to um, hone his process and focus his thoughts a little bit more but more around his game plan and getting clarity I said to him that I think success leaves clues and the best players understand what their best cricket looks like and how they want to go about it um, and he said, that's really interesting. That's something that Mike Hussey had spoken to him about. He'd, he'd had caught up with Mike Hussey. He'd reached out to Mike Hussey. And this, to me, is something the best players do is they're always looking for answers. They're always looking to solve problems. They're always asking for help or asking for advice and investing in themselves. So Jake reached out to Mike Hussey and, and Mike Hussey said something similar about writing everything down. Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting because we, um, We've heard the Mike Hussey story a few times over a podcast or two and he actually um, spoke at Melbourne Cricket Club about this to a few of our young players. But he would, to get his game plan and blueprint, we like to call it here, um, he, over time, while he was playing for WA as a young player, would, every time he'd have a good day, every time he'd score 100 or maybe felt really good about how he was playing, um, he would write down as much as he possibly could on a piece of paper about that day. And that included what he did the night before, how he trained during the week, um, how he felt, um, where he scored his runs, all that sort of thing. His, his, his overall, yeah, how, how it looked, um, as, just as much as he possibly could. And then over a period of time, he would have a drawer full of these bits of paper and he would start seeing trends about how he wanted to go about his every time he walked out the bat, really. Um, so, and then you could see the results of that. 
you knew how Huss was going to play in the test arena against the best bowlers in the world. Yeah, well, it gave him some clarity. It gave him an understanding of who he was as a player. And that's a story we've shared with our young players at our camps. And sort of we've done this exercise where we've got our young players to think back. And this is a, a, a bit of a, a tip for any young sort of cricketers listening is to think back to the time you played your best ever innings. And then, right, just go back to that moment, shut your eyes and, and think about as many things as you possibly can. Everything Reedy's just list there, what you did during the week, the night before, where you scored your runs, etc. Write it all down. Then try and think about another time and another time. And after you've got two, three, four or five times where hopefully you've had some success, and if you're young, it might be a 20, it might be a 40, it might be a 100, but you can start to see clues and understand who you are as a player. So, that's basically what I asked Jake to do. He's he's played 50. That, this game's his 50th first-class match for South Australia. And he scored seven first-class hundreds. So I said to him, I want you to get some um, some data on how you've scored your seven hundreds. And he's like, yep, I like that. Okay, I'm going to go to the analyst. So he went to the analyst and he got sent back a few days later. Basically a breakdown. And this is the beauty of being a professional cricketer. You can get someone else to do that work for you and you get all this, this extra and um, data that you don't get as a junior. But... All this data around how he scored his runs, his percentage of dot balls, his, his how he scored against spin, da 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 da, all this awesome information that I said then said to him, okay, now you have to analyze that data and create a plan out of it and see what trends there are, see how you go about it. So he came back to me a day or two later. He's really, really excited and enthusiastic about this process and learning and getting better, which is such an, a good thing to see from a 27 year old who's been in the game for some time. And he came up with a three-page plan. He said that, I'm not going to give away his plans, but he said things like, oh, I liked a bit of width early and da-da-da-da. And, and I'm not saying that that one thing sort of made him go and score 100. Obviously, he's a fantastic player and he's, he's, he's done very well in the past. But I feel like that, that, um, that three-page document and that analysis just gave him some clarity. And, and he's, he sort of said since then, since we've spoken via text, that, yeah, thanks, it helped and whatever, that... Um, yeah, it just gave him the clarity he was probably lacking at the start of his innings and, and throughout his innings, and it meant he didn't panic when he needed to. It meant he, he wanted to attack the spinners, so he did that. He trusted himself to do that rather than maybe not having that clarity, and I think that's one of the most powerful exercises any batter, any cricketer can do, really. Yeah, I think I can't – yeah, we can't stress this one enough. It's quite funny. Um, most sessions, if, they've, if a player that I coach has scored some runs, I go, oh, did you – have you, like, written stuff down about it. have you reflected and they go oh no no not really um but then in the the better juniors we coach they're onto that straight away and it is just so blatantly obvious the difference about how they go about it isn't it um and i think another great example of a blueprint and and this one was also discovered fairly late um tim david who is a name that i'm sure we've all heard of now thanks to t20 cricket he's just been dominating around the world um Growing up in in his early twenties, he was trying to be a normal, a pretty normal, conventional player. Like he always had the tools to do what he's doing now, um, but he's trying to be more of an all round cricketer. Um, and now I think it was probably what two years ago, two and a half years ago, where he decided that um, enough's enough. I'm going to play to my strengths, and I'm going to try and hit every ball for six, pretty much, because he's got he's certainly got all the tools. The the bloke's massive. Um, and I think that just shows that he's gone to his strengths and not trying to be something that he's not. And that's that can be so beneficial um, to any player. Yeah, well, again, it comes back to understanding yourself and understanding who you are as a player. And 
Tim David's a, still a fantastic Red Bull player. He, I think I saw him, he got a big 100 or he got some runs um, in a second 11 game for WA at um, Richardson Park up the road here many years ago now and he was just pumping the spinners and he's always had that ability to hit the ball hard and hit the ball far. As you say, he's a big, strong guy and he got an opportunity and he seized it with both hands. There aren't that many great finishers in T20 cricket. There aren't that many great guys who can sort of get 20 off 10 or if they bat for longer, get 45 off 20 or whatever. And Tim has become one of the premier um, hitters, middle order, lower order hitters in T20 and T10 cricket around the world. And he got a big hundred off not many balls for Surrey earlier in the year when he was an overseas player there and he filled in for a few others that had gone away for the hundred or whatever. And, he, he's someone that's just, I think, going to keep going from strength to strength. He had an opportunity in the IPL. I don't, don't know if he played a game or not. He played one or two, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, in, at RCB with Coley. Um, so, yeah, full credit to Tim. And, and he could have just stayed trying to work hard at it, grooving his shape and working on hitting the ball on the ground and just been trying to break into WA's four-day four team, which is a very hard team to break into. And he's probably wouldn't be where he is now, but he's, he's put all his chips into being a good hitter and a good T20 player and... Yeah, full credit to him. But again, comes back to trying to understand who you are as a player, what strengths you have. And, and Wellesley's another one that does that. He's not someone that bombs lots of sixes, but he's someone that plays to his strengths. He knows his blueprint. He knows how he's going to go about his runs. And that's something we can't stress enough for any young batters listening. Yep. And um, congrats to Tim. He just signed a contract for Lancashire Lightning in the T20 Blast as well. So just more big things coming for him um, after, again, he's dominating the the Pakistan Super League. so And we're so lucky to live in a time where there's all these different franchise cricket that if you aren't in the best 11 in your state or you're, you're not in the Australian team, well, you can you can become a pretty good... You can make an amazing life and career and, and earn a lot of money and travel the world out of the T20 and T10 cricket. And obviously, we encourage all our young players to try and play Red Bull cricket, try and develop a game and a style that, that's suited to the moving ball and Red Bull cricket. But... If you don't quite make it in that, you might you might be able to do something like Tim is is doing, and guys like Tom Banton in England, he he's no doubt still got ambition to play for England, but um he's playing a lot of franchise cricket, a lot of white ball cricket because he's a fantastic opening batter in white ball cricket. So so lucky to live in a in a time now, but hopefully the hopefully that doesn't mean the young players lose sight of Test cricket. We've spoken about that in a previous show how Test cricket's the pinnacle and, and how we love cricket. So hopefully that carries on. Now, Reedy, over to your favourite part of the show. Yes, my beloved Grinders Club. Um, this is gathering momentum, isn't it? We get starting to get a few suggestions on uh, who should be in in the uh, in the in the club. Um, this week, I'm going to. I'm still going. One of my decisions. I'm going to pick one of my favourite players in the world, and this. This player loves to score runs in all the tough situations. It's not always the most pretty innings um, like some of her teammates. Um, but when the team's in trouble, she just seems to always be the one that stands up and, and does it under pressure. Um, she shows two, two of my favorite things that I love, love in a batter, and that's grit and determination. She's adaptable across all three formats. She dominates um, and... With a strike rate of 45 in tests so far, she'd like to probably improve her test record slightly. But again, there's not many opportunities there. As in make her strike rate slower to be more of a grinder? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we need to slow this down a little bit. Um, No, just, yeah. I think she just dominates across all formats. She scored hundreds in one days 
interna- um, internationals, T20 internationals as well. But um, yeah, Beth Mooney is an absolute gun and just someone I'd love watch playing. Yep. Watching to play. Cap number seven. So we've got a pretty good um, group f- um, forming. And we've had, a couple, as you say, a couple of messages about some grade players here in Perth who might or might not get an opportunity in the Grinders Club at one point. But congratulations to Beth Mooney. Welcome to the Grinders, Reedy's Grinders Club. <laughs> Pleasure to have you, Beth. Now, Reedy, I'm going to throw this one over to you. We've got a question on Instagram. Um, thanks to Pen- Penthurst West Cricket Club. They asked, if you are a number 11, what would you spend your nets time, your time in the nets, when batting, as you know the only way up the order is to score runs? Yeah, we found this found this one quite interesting, didn't we? Um, I think, well, the first thing that comes to mind, again, is we fall back to our blueprint. And I think as a number 11 or a tail end or any player, you've got to understand what sort of player you want to be and how you want to go about it. So... First thing for me would be to, to come up with that, um, how that looks. Do you want to be someone that bats with the tail and, and holds up an end or do you want to be someone that um, gets on the front foot a bit and tries to score down down in the lower order? And I think um, in T20 cricket and all that sort of stuff now, being a handy lower order player is becoming vital in being selected as well. Well, you see, you do see it. Like I was listening to the um, the, the commentary on the, the match earlier between uh, South Australia and Victoria, and John Holland's batting at number number ten for Victoria. He's not a renowned batter; he's, he's a bowler. But they were talking about how he always scores his runs quickly, and how he got a sixty or forty balls against the Sackers a few years ago. And I think of Michael Hogan at the Wacker. He used to bat eleven, and he used to come out and just get thirty or fifteen balls, and he used to throw the willow because that's how he said, "This is how I'm going to score the most runs." Whereas his teammate, my former teammate Steve McGoffin, used to be more of a traditional sort of just hold up one end, try and survive, and a lot of lower order batters are that. But I think you're absolutely right, trying to work out which of those two you want to be and, and probably try and play your innings more often there. I had this conversation with one of our batters, at um, one of our all-rounders at Perth yesterday, Josh Nicholas, who is a fantastic hitter and he loves width and he slashes the ball and he plays his best cricket when he's ultra-positive. But as he's gotten older and he's gotten more of a serious senior role in the club, he he thinks he has to sort of bat time and bat sensibly and bat properly, whereas that's not where his best cricket lives. So um, but I would also say, add to what you've said about the blueprint, I, said, I would say that to get better at any skill, to get better at anything, you have to A, get the fundamentals of that skill right and work hard at grooving and bettering the fundamentals. And then B, you have to do volume. So you, it's, it's going to be hard to become better at batting, score and then score more runs and move up the order if you're not putting the volume in. If you're not putting the work in, you're going to struggle. So I can't expect to become a gun bowler if I'm not bowling for half an hour at training or getting the ball when I'm not batting and bowling and bowling and bowling. So if you're number 11 and you have ambition, not a lot of number 11s don't, but if you have ambition to move up the order, you've got to make time. You've got to make time. It doesn't just happen and falling up. You've got to make time to practice your batting. Yeah, that's it, volume. You can't argue with that there. Um, now, moving on to our performances of the week. Um, yeah, as we said, this Goldie's claimed this one the last couple of days. <laughs> Jake Weatherall, 122 off 208. That's his eight, eight first-class hunt. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, this one was great to watch on Saturday. Um, he won us the game against Claremont and Deadlands. Kieran Coyne scored 77 not out off 110 balls to steer us to an important win to keep us in finals contention. Coyne is one of our mentors. He's um, doing a little bit of coaching for us of our younger players. So great to see Coyne doing well. And he's 
gearing up for a big um, off-season over in the UK. So fantastic to see him doing well. And then finally, um, and I actually didn't check many scores for once on the weekend. I was down south at a wedding and, and didn't have much reception. But checked some scores when I got home on, on Monday afternoon and I, I just looked at some stats. And, and young Chloe Ainsworth, who's only 16, I think she's a pretty big chance of being selected in the WA side for the WNCL coming up very shortly. But she's averaging 100 in the female A-grade 50-over competition. Now, they do a T20 competition prior to Christmas and they do a 50-over competition post-Christmas. So I think she's had three or four hits. Only been dismissed once, so scored 100 runs, averaging 100. And this is on the back of last year. She was the leading wicket-taker in the um, 50-over competition. So she is a fantastic young player and someone I'm super excited about to continue to watch her progress. And hopefully she gets a crack in the upcoming WNCL. Her and a few other girls, um, Georgia Wiley, Molly Healy, Ash King, three other girls in our programs, in our sort of our, our athletes that we're really hopeful get an opportunity and, and show the, the, the rest of the Australia and the world how good they are. So final part of the show, Reedy. Um, what are your predictions for this week? Yeah, well, I think um, we need to... Well, we're going we're gonna to go with tonight's game and um, we're going to pick... It, both of us are going to pick a batter. Is going to be a top the top scorer for Australia. So, um, you're going with Aaron Finch, which I think is just the easy option, isn't it? Again, no, I think. Well, <laughs> I think he's a due for some runs for Australia, but B, he got some runs in the back end of the Big Bash, and I think he's probably found some form. And I, I think great players like Finch is when they have lo- like low periods and they're out of runs for some time, and they find their form again. Well, then they really cash in. They really make it count. And I just think Finch. Finch knows that his spot might have been questioned by a few people for this upcoming World Cup and he'll be desperate to probably go out on a high in Australia, defend the, the title that they won last year. So I think Finch is up for a big series and a big year, um, which will probably be his last year captaining and playing for Australia. So I'm going with Finch tonight, even though there's still a lot of good players. McDermott's in form. Ingo's um, going to be sort of trying to win his, a spot in that side. You've got Maxwell and Stoinis who are coming off those monster scores in the BBL. Wade, who you got, who you got ready? Yeah, well, I, I agree. I think Finch is going to have a monster, monster World Cup here. Australia loves batting here. The wickets suit his game, so um, that's a great call. I think I'm going to, I want to go with McDermott, who will be at the other end opening the batting. I think, as you just said, um, the good players when they're in form, they they keep it going. And I think he's he had a super big bash um, competition. He was some of his power hitting is just extraordinary. He's a really strong guy and. Um, I think he has what it takes to succeed in this format for Australia. Well, hopefully um, he does because like Flip, he's dominated the BBL over the last few years and hopefully you can then transition that into um, international cricket because he's got the ability. It's just, I think, when you go from one level to the next, a lot of it is he's just got to have that belief. He's just got to do it once and show himself that he can do it and have that belief and trust in himself that he can play the way he has for the, for the Hurricanes for the Aussies on the big stage. So good luck to him and also to Ingo making his debut. Now, before we wrap up, another big weekend of cricket for you ahead, Reedy. What do you got on this weekend? Um, yeah, we play South Perth on Saturday. And again, it's pretty much one we need to win to keep our spot in the finals. And then um, we have a one-day semi-final against Tubiaco. Floriot, again, we play them. So, yeah, that's going to be a really tough, but um, hopefully, yeah, a, a good day for us. Well, 
Good luck. It's uh, you're due for a few, I reckon. So um, yeah, I am. <laughs> a couple of big scores there would be nice leading into finals, and uh, you can yeah have a couple more celebratory drinks on Sunday evening. But that's it for today. Um, I hope you've got some value. Hope you've enjoyed this CM show. We're hoping to have a few more special guests on over the next few weeks. Now that a few boys are back from quarantine, we won't mention um, who we're planning to have on yet, but we've got a few big names. Hopefully, we can get on to give some value, but. As always, Reedy's getting better at this and I'm staying average. So thanks a lot for listening and we will see you next week. Cheers, legends.